Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on the State of Ukraine, is this the most documented war ever? I'm Greg Dixon. Today's story comes from another Greg, NPR's national security correspondent Greg Myrie, who recently returned from a reporting trip in Ukraine. Greg has covered more than a dozen wars dating back to the 1980s in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. And he says the war in Ukraine is different because of the sheer amount of information coming out of the conflict. Here's Greg. When I started covering wars, a typical day was often like this. You woke up in a place with no electricity, no phone service, no television or newspapers. The internet didn't exist. In this news vacuum, every day was a blind treasure hunt. You'd swing by a government office, track down a military officer, visit a hospital, hang out at the marketplace. If you were lucky, by day's end, you'd found a story. Ukraine is different. Very different. There's more information from this war than probably any war in history. Um, Immediately available. Rob Lee is a Marine veteran who's now a military analyst with the Foreign Policy Research Institute in Philadelphia. This fire hose of information was evident from the first day of Russia's full-scale invasion in February of last year. There was this kind of overload of information. It was kind of difficult to keep track of a lot of it. And you kind of have to focus on one thing, one thing at a time because the whole kind of picture was, was really... Uh, There's just too much information. Andrei Saplienko is a leading Ukrainian TV journalist who's reported on many conflicts. He says he's fundamentally changed the way he works. I felt it from the first hour of this war. When I got a call from my friend and he told me, so the invasion has started. And I decided to share this news as soon as possible. He posted on Telegram, the social media app of choice among Ukrainians and Russians. Saplienko had fewer than 10,000 followers at that point. Today, he has more than 300,000 on his Telegram channel, which he updates constantly with battlefield reports, videos, and nuggets of news. You have to do it quicker, much more quicker than before. And traditional media like television or papers or even websites, they are too slow. They are too slow. They are, you know, several steps behind the situation. The conflict in Ukraine is the most documented war for at least three reasons. The first is simply the march of technology, which offers a real-time look at the fighting as never before. Private satellite companies provide daily images of destruction inflicted on both sides of the front line. A drone films itself dropping a grenade on troops and trenches. Dmitry Alperovich, a prominent commentator on the war, says all this information is hugely helpful, but he adds a caveat. In some ways, it's really addictive to wake up in the morning, open up Telegram, and see this flood of videos, text messages, pictures showing you what's been occurring while you were asleep. Alperovich lives in Washington, where he runs a think tank, the Silverado Policy Accelerator, but I caught up with him in Ukraine because he says there's only so much you can learn from afar on social media or other sources. It's really, really important to understand that this is a very selective view that's being presented by each of the sides fighting this war. Uh, It can give you 
a lull into thinking that you know more than you actually do about the way the war is going. Rob Lee puts it this way. If there is a missile strike on a tank and that tank blows up and if it goes on Twitter, right, a big fireball will get retweeted. So a lot of people will see that. Lee understands Twitter, now known as X. His following has grown from around 50,000 before the full-scale war to 670,000 today. But he stresses the war that's on social media can be very different from the actual war. There are a lot of videos also of missiles hitting tanks, right? Tanks surviving the strike. It's not going to retweet that much because it's not a very kind of interesting video. I think a lot of people early on came to this very wrong conclusion that tanks were more obsolete than they were. The second big reason this war is so well chronicled is that much of Ukraine still functions despite the heavy fighting in the east and south of the country. Foreign journalists, aid workers, and diplomats all come and go freely to the capital Kiev and elsewhere. Schools, shops, and businesses are still operating, displaying Ukraine's resilience. This greatly benefits Ukraine, says Anton Garishchenko, a former government official who now heads a team that tweets constantly on the war and has nearly a half million followers. Ukraine has won the information war. Hundreds of millions of people all over the world saw our suffering and put pressure on their governments to provide us with support. This international attention focused on Ukraine is far greater than in other wars in less connected, less accessible countries such as Syria, Yemen, or Libya. A third crucial factor dates to Russia's initial invasion of Ukraine back in 2014. At that time, Ukraine felt it was struggling to get its message out to the world. International news organizations often had a permanent presence in Moscow, but not in Kyiv. In response, Ukraine made a major effort to accommodate media coverage. Again, Ukrainian reporter Andrei Saplienko. In Ukraine, the access to first-line positions is comparatively easy thing. In contrast, he says... So I used to work with the American forces in, in, in Afghanistan and Iraq. It doesn't work like this. It's a process. You know, you have to be embedded through the many procedures. On a frontline visit last year, Saplienko suffered shrapnel wounds. He now has an artificial hip, walks with a limp, and spends less time at the front. But with so much information available, he says, he can do more analytical work from a safer distance. Of course, the Ukrainian and Russian governments still want to keep parts of the war hidden. Yet even this comes with a twist. Russian military bloggers, often embedded with Russian troops, provide daily coverage from the battlefield. They're highly partisan, yet they're often the first to report Russian setbacks. Again, Dmitry Alperovich. You have this uh, unique dynamic where the Russian bloggers uh, and, and these ultra-patriots are very disappointed with the way the war has been going on. Um, they've been increasingly more truthful about the failures of the Russian military. Just one of the many ways this war is being covered like no other. Greg Myrie, NPR News, Kyiv. Thanks for listening to the State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back soon. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.
Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. 